Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome to Speaking Out for the Blind. I'm Brian McKellen. We're happy to have one of ACB's very special members on today's show, Deb Cook-Lewis. She is active in Guide Dog Users Incorporated. Deb also was the chair of the ACB Board of Publications. Now she is ACB's first vice president. Deb joins us to talk about these activities and the opportunities and support they provide to ACB members and others. Hi, Deb. Hi, thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. Let's learn Uh more about you. How'd you become blind? Well, I was born um, with a significant vision loss, and um, it comes from some kind of unknown um, congenital problem somewhere in the brain. Uh, when people get to know me, they do decide that I'm brain damaged, so maybe that's it. But normally, um, they really don't have a good definition for it. And um, I still have a little bit of vision left, but I actually have significant cataracts, which um, they thought would be operable and have turned out not to be. So I'm probably going to lose the rest of my vision. But uh, right now, I'm just very, very low vision. When did the vision loss start? Oh, I was born with it. So I had more vision as a child than I do now, but um, it was actually from birth. Okay. So, all right. In 2018, you retired after more than 40 years working with Washington State and the University of Washington. What did you do for both organizations? Well, during my time for uh, Washington State, I worked some of that time for the Department of Services for the Blind, uh, where I started as a a rehab teacher in the field teaching skills of blindness. I uh, went on to be a vocational counselor uh, serving a large rural part of the state. And um, when it got to be too hard to get around over there, um, I decided to move west. So I moved to Seattle and um, became the director of the Orientation Training Center, which is the adult residential training program. I went from that to the job placement supervisor and then into some more administrative programs, um, managing um, the assistive technology and also doing policy work. That led me to uh, a position with the general VR agency um, that serves other people with disabilities other than blind people. And I became a manager of uh, various issues over there. And that then led me to my ultimate time with the University of Washington, where I spent 15 years. I managed the State Assistive Technology Program, the Deaf-Blind Equipment Distribution Program. We actually had a contract with Services for the Blind to manage the um, Older Blind Independent Living Program, which is a very unique relationship. And I was also involved in a number of other university research projects. So I had a really busy and interesting career, I think. A busy life? Yeah. How did you first learn about ACB and just become involved in the organization? Well, my parents were actually, um, my father in particular, was involved with NFB as I was growing up and actually uh, was part of their legislative efforts in the state um, and was involved and active with that. So I came by it kind of naturally. And um, my state Um, organization was at that point part of uh, NFB. Later, there was some separation of the ways, and we became an independent 
ran an organization for a while and then decided that it was better to be part of a larger national organization. So we joined ACB. So I just kind of morphed along with um, the, the organization, the primary organization that was in our state at the time. So I've been a member of ACB actively since the early 90s, but I was a member, at least on the rolls, probably since about 1980. Wow, that's a long time. I understand you were recently a candidate for ACB's first vice president. Yeah. You won this office. I did. Yes, yes. How'd you speak out to win? Well, you know, I have no total idea. Um, I, I think that one of the things about me is that I'm a very hard worker and I'm also a very candid person. So um, I, I think people liked those attributes of me. Um, I, I don't sit around telling everybody else what to do. I try to figure out what I should be doing. I am very dedicated to the organization. I spend a lot of time. And now I think, um, you know, it was a it was a hard decision to make to run. And I'm sure for some people, it was a hard decision to uh, vote for me. But I really appreciate um, people's confidence. And I hope I do it proud. And who knows, it's actually quite scary. So um, we'll see how it goes. But I, I think it was probably based on just my trying to be very honest and transparent with people. So what are some of your new plans? In your role as well, first, yeah, first vice president. that's interesting because you know we our plans are kind of made by the membership. I mean, we are a member-driven organization, so a lot of what happens um, is really the outcome of the resolutions we will pass this summer and those that we've passed in the past. Um, but my personal interest and and something I really talked about in my campaign is that I believe ACB needs to work smarter, not harder. We have a lot of wonderfully dedicated staff and volunteers who put in countless hours, as we've noted in our volunteer uh, data collection that we do. But you know, really sometimes we're working um, at, at the tasks in a way that maybe should be more automated or maybe should have more people or maybe should be handled differently or maybe we should have different expectations. Um, we've talked about developing some resources to help with the convention management around databases and things like that. And I am very, very interested in building out that infrastructure because ACB is growing really fast. We have to keep up with ourselves, you know, as we take on new things. So I think that my particular strength or interest um, and things I would like to contribute would be uh, that strategic planning piece and that infrastructure building piece. And ACB is so big. Yes. Yes, it is. You're active with Guide Dog Users, mm-hmm. or GDUI for short. Mm-hmm. And you're also with your state's ACB affiliate, That's the right. Washington Council of the Blind. Mm-hmm. What do you do with both affiliates? Well, um, Let's see. What do I do? For Guide Dog users, I am the uh, second vice president at the national level, and I am the secretary of our local chapter of Guide Dog users. Um, My responsibility nationally until recently was to manage the Juno Report podcast, but we have discontinued that for a variety of reasons, and so I don't have a specific assignment at the national level, but I'm sure they'll 
give me one as soon as they hear this podcast and realize I don't have one. Um, but at the local level, I am the secretary and I also I help coordinate a number of those activities. In WCB, I currently do not hold an office. I think it's really hard to hold a national office and a state office and all that at the same time and be responsible. But I do assist um, with their website management and I assist with other things as needed. I have been the treasurer of four different terms in the past and I have been on on the board for uh, WCB as well. So um, I have a long history of organizational involvement. And right now I'm just kind of focusing most of my energy on my national commitment so that I can get that right, at least in the first year. And then I can consider local things again. But I, I want to be careful that as I commit that I make sure I can meet those commitments. Yeah, you were elected to the ACB's Board of Publications in 2016. Mm-hmm. You became mm-hmm. their chair in 2019. Mm-hmm. How did you speak out to be elected to the Board of Publications and become that chair? Well, so um, the Board of Publications is kind of a unique body. It has three elected members and two presidentially appointed members. So in 2016, I was actually a leadership fellow, one of the J.P. Morgan Chase leadership fellows for ACB. And I came to the convention with a commitment that I would find something to do for the organization to repay them for the kindness of selecting me and and believing me that I needed to come away doing something. Well, I had no idea what it would be. But um, as they began to uh, run for the, the people for the Board of Publications, I realized that they didn't have as strong a candidates as I thought they ought to have. And so I was sitting next to uh, Denise Colley, who was currently the chair of the BOP, but was about to run for the board. And I said to Denise, you know, I'd really like to serve on the board of publications someday. And she goes, how about now? (laughs) I said, "Um, well, I don't know. I guess I could think about that. I mean, I know what they do. I like, I believe in what they do. I think it's good. So um, we decided that I would run and I decided, you know, if I lose, it's okay. I mean, maybe people won't really know me, but of course I had the advantage already of having the visibility of being a leadership fellow. So people did know me and I had been part of the organization for a long time, even though I hadn't been nationally terribly active for a while due to some personal circumstances. So um, I did run and um, I just, again, I think that Uh, My ticket was about really, you know, being there for the people, being a very candid person who is not afraid to say what needs to be said, but who doesn't want to just say things brashly. I did a couple of very special projects for the Board of Publications when I came on as as an elected member. Uh, One of those was to work with um, the Council of Citizens with Low Vision on their large print standards and try to upgrade that and get ACB to adopt it and work through that. And I, 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 I uh, kind of led that effort along with other people. I certainly didn't work alone, um, but I did sort of spearhead that, and that helped me a lot in sort of forming that. So when uh, in 2019, um, Ron Brooks had completed his uh, chairmanship of the BOP, we were transitioning from Kim Charlson to Dan Spoon, and Kim and Dan together asked me if I would consider becoming the chair. So that's really how that kind of came about. If you go somewhere and you do something and you work hard, you know, opportunities may come your way that you don't expect. So I never would have expected that. All right. Speaking of publications, you started working with ACB Radio, mm-hmm. now, as it's called ACB Media. <laughs> yeah, ACB I have trouble with that Media. too. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get used to it. 
Yeah. You started with ACB Media, which this show airs on in 2004. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to join ACB Media? Well, um, I was very interested in um, being a broadcaster. I um, thought that would be a lot of fun, and I needed a place to try to do that, and I needed some training and experience, and ACB Radio was definitely one of the places you could. In those days, it was one of the few ways you could. Uh, Now there are other opportunities and and possibilities, but in those days, that was the place to go. I uh, contacted them and um, said I was interested and um, found out what kinds of equipment you might might need and do and got myself organized. And I did my first broadcast in December of 2004. It was great because I could play Christmas music and I just stuck it all in one folder. (laughs) It was really easy. So that was great. And then I moved on to to do more of that later. And um, and when I was in high school, I'd actually worked at a local radio station. So I had a lot of on-air experience and some production experience. So it, I was able to apply that. And then my husband's career was in broadcasting and uh, news and both on-air disc jockeying and news. So uh, he was a lot of help in terms of uh, sort of producing producing my shows. And I'm still actually on ACB Radio the shows that I do originate from our own radio station, uh, RideRadio.net, but they are some of them are carried on ACB Radio Cafe, and notably the show of mine that is just me carried on ACB Radio Cafe is on Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, a show called It's Country. And I do play country music all the way from the 30s and 40s to today, but it is it is older style music, so it's not most of it is not super contemporary and lots of bluegrass because I really like bluegrass. So um, I'm still still doing that today and plan to continue even as I become busy busier for the organization. It's a good it's a good break for me. That's great. You, uh, you, so your local high school radio station, where was this? Actually, it wasn't their radio station. It was a regular um, regular AM station. This was in oh. uh, Sumner, Washington, K- Radio KDFL, which is no longer there, but it was a Daffodil Radio. They were a commercial regular station. We had a communications class at the high school for people who were interested in journalism and radio and such. On the weekends, this was cheap help for the station, which was a low, kind of a low budget station. But oh no, you could get them all over the valley. And so it was, you know, it was fine. I worked there for three years and did all kinds of things. Got some very funny stories about some things that we actually did that weren't quite legal, but we didn't quite know that. I don't maybe if you don't know. <laughs> and and we and I sort of think the statute of limitations is all run out on them now, but <laughs> so it's probably okay. But um but we we did some some fun remotes that were um we were a, a daytime station uh, back when stations really were sunrise sunset and so because this was in the late 60s we uh, ran a few remote football games and things that were after hours for us um <laughs> and, and and that was kind of fun but unfortunately nothing ever happened to us but it was a great experience for sure you coordinated logistics for the ACB's virtual conventions mm-hmm. because of covid the breakout sessions more spe- more specifically right. last year and this year in 2021. Mm-hmm. And you helped eight affiliates hold both their first and second virtual conventions. 
<laughs> Tell us about these activities and just the success of doing them this way. Well, um, I, I was so fortunate because my employer actually has been was a, a big proponent of online events and and online symposiums, and so actually in my job I had managed a number of. Uh, international seminars for my employer. So I knew something about event planning. Um, I wouldn't say that I was an expert at it because I usually had lots of help, but you know, I did know something about how that works. And I knew Zoom extremely well. I knew some of the other uh, issues that would be involved in how to set up a large scale event like that. And so um, it was really natural for me to volunteer um, that I'd be glad to help. And, and glad to sort of put that in motion. So last year we did the first one, and uh, none of these is ever glitch free. But but we did do the first one last year, and we had uh, a 107 breakout sessions, seven Zoom locations to put them in. And this year we had 165, 166 events, and we had let's see, 12. Thir- uh, 12 locations to uh, put them in. So um, so basically, it was a bigger event, kind of a monumental effort, and and definitely not anything. I mean, you know, we, we owe a lot to Janet Dickelman, who manages the overall convention. I owe a lot to Cindy Hollis, who managed the host, and Debbie Hazelton, who managed the, the streaming. So there's a lot of people. You never do these things alone or in a vacuum. But as far as actually conceptualizing the bigger picture and laying it out, um, on a bunch of spreadsheets and sort of managing the flow of it. Um, we invited over 300 presenters. I think it was about 350 people who got individual panel invitations. And um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a very, very big job, but it's actually, it's actually fun. It's actually something I really enjoy. You're a big picture person. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? One of my supervisors always described it as looking at the world from the 30,000 foot level. So if you're flying over a city, you um, see all kinds of pieces of the city that if you were on the ground, you would not see. So when you're on the ground, you only see where you are. I mean, you know, that that may be a, a sighted anomaly thing, but it's something I think we can all relate to and understand. So when you're in a particular spot, you you see where you are and what's exactly around you, but you don't see very well what's on the other side of things. And if there's anything big or, or whatever in the way, you don't see over the top of it because we just physically can't. But if you were to fly over that city at 30,000 feet, you see all kinds of pieces of the city and you see that maybe there's water, you know, somewhere, or you see that some tall buildings, you know, how many skyscrapers they have, they know. And so that's kind of the way I view the world. Is I view it from, I can definitely get down and get into all the details, but I also try to see it from the full picture, from the from the high level where you would actually be up high enough to see more detail um, at that level. And so it's important to me how all the parts fit together. And that's important to me in, in any kind of an organization that I'm part of. So it's not just my little task over here, but it's your task and my task and how those tasks fit together. Yeah. And you work hard and long for the cause of ACB and its mission and goals. In fact, you even mentioned in your candidate statement this story that you go to a lot of ACB's 6 a.m. meetings. You're talking <laughs> 6 a.m. meetings. 
mm-hmm. where it's 9 a.m. on the East Coast. Right. That's right. true commitment. My earliest meeting that I have twice a month starts at 5.30 a.m. my time. 5.30. My, hu- <laughs> wow. my husband said that if I was elected first vice president, he wanted to introduce a resolution that would have all those meetings start at 8 p.m. West Coast at night and then let the East Coast guys stay up and be miserable for a little while. But it just makes a lot of sense with our national office on the East Coast and with a, a lot of the things that we're doing. It, and we have a couple of West Coast people who um, do these meetings before they leave for work. And I figure, well, I'm not leaving for work. So if I need a nap later, <laughs> I could take one maybe. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I have two meetings that are pretty regular meetings that are at six and one that is a regular meeting uh, that's at 530. And then lots of meetings that are at better times. But those three, once in a while, the calendar works just wrong and all three of them show up in the same week. So then it's Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday up with the chickens. And, you know, in the summer, this is not a big deal. It's great. But in December and January, I have to tell you, my husband's idea of changing those to night meetings sounds really good to me. Why? Because then, you know, then I wouldn't have to get up in the cold, right? Because it's really cold. Um, I'm in just on the edge of Washington State and Oregon and Idaho, where they all come together. And we have cold winters. And it's cold at five in the morning when I get up to do these meetings in the winter. So, you know, it's so that he, I definitely, I definitely see his point, but we won't be changing them. So we just have to get used to it. And I just have to get a blanket. (laughs) Yep. Used to it, get a blanket, get some coffee. A coffee for sure. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, I know Seattle's very well known for coffee too. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Starbucks uh-huh. and Seattle's Best Coffee and Tully's. Yeah. yeah, yes, exactly. You got it. You got I like it. Starbucks, but more on that later. Um, yeah. <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to add, Deb? Well, I just thank you for having me today. And I um, look forward to serving ACB in this exciting new role. And I look forward to learning a lot, especially from Dan Spoon, because I think he's been such a wonderful um, leader for the organization. And, um, you know, and I hope to help him because I'm, you know, I know he could use some. And so I'm, I'm just excited to be here. Deb, we appreciate all your hard work, and we know that you will help ACB continue to grow and prosper. Thanks so much for joining us today. Mm-hmm. Before we go, listeners, I welcome your comments on this program. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind, or follow me on Twitter at Speak Out Blind or Speak Out for the Blind. You can also check out my website. That's speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. More information on today's show is posted there. Just look under the list of episodes and show news tab. And my show archive is at speaking-out-for-blind.pinecast.co. That's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. Thanks for listening. And remember to speak out. Do you love to read but struggle to see print? Bookshare is a nonprofit ebook library that makes reading easier for people with low vision or blindness. Members can read in ways that work for them with ebooks in audio, large print, and digital braille. Get unlimited access to over 1 million titles, including New York Times bestsellers, periodicals, upskilling books, and more. Bookshare is free for New York Public Library patrons or U.S. students with a qualifying disability. For more information, visit bookshare.org today. 
July 26th was the 31st anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA. We are incredibly thankful to Vespero for providing the first corporate contributions of this year-long ACB 60 for 60 campaign and for launching a matching challenge to our ACB members and our partners. Vespero will double every contribution made to the 60 for 60 campaign up to $10,000 over the month. Their matching challenge will start today, July 26th, in honor of the ADA's 31st anniversary until August 31st, 2021. To join the challenge in honor of the ADA's anniversary today, please donate at acb.org donate. To sign up for our announcements, send a blank email to radio-announce plus subscribe at acblists.org. That's radio-announce plus subscribe at acblists.org. Join me, Brian McCallan, on Speaking Out for the Blind. I interview blind newsmakers and experts to help you, the listeners, go for your dreams. Speaking Out for the Blind airs Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern on ACB1 and 8 p.m. Pacific on ACB2. California, Florida, Iowa, Texas, guide dog users, students, IT professionals, government employees. The American Council of the Blind has members in all 50 states and is actively engaged in a wide variety of activities. We advocate for the education, employment, and social inclusion of all blind and visually impaired Americans. We publish a monthly magazine. We hold an annual conference and convention and operate a multi-channel internet radio station. Check us out at acb.org. Together, we can do anything. You're listening to ACB Radio Mainstream, a service of the American Council of the Blind. 